Well, good morning, church. It is a blessing by the grace of our Lord to be back here with you for another Sunday. And uh, we have much to be thankful for as we have just sung about, and I pray that your hearts are stirred this morning, stirred for a greater affection and hunger for the Lord. Our title of this morning's message is Our Confidence in God, and we are continuing. These are the last two messages. Today and next week are the last two messages in our series on 1 John, Walking in the Light, going verse by verse through this entire book. It has been an incredible journey, and here we are, two messages away from the end. 1 John chapter 5, verses 13 to 17 is our text. And if you do not have a Bible with you, put up your hand nice and high because our ushers are coming forward right now and we want to put a copy of God's word in your hand so that you can follow along. And if you do not have a, a Bible at home, then take that as a gift from us to continue to grow in your walk with the Lord on your own as well. 1 John 5, 13 to 17, our confidence in God. As you're turning there, uh, I have a question for you to start off today, and it is this. Do you believe that God answers prayer? Now, careful, careful, careful before you go and answering, because I know if you've been here with us for more than maybe 10 minutes, you will realize the answer to that question. But does your heart actually resound with that answer? Do you believe God answers prayer? Okay, if the answer is yes, uh, do your prayers reflect that belief or expectancy that God will answer them? Challenge. Do you believe God answers prayer? If yes, do your prayers reflect that belief, that expectancy with which we approach him? And would we even know what this looks like? What does it look like to approach God confidently in prayer, expectantly in prayer? And you say, well, wait a second, I believe God answers prayer. Why does it matter about our confidence before him, our expectancy with which we approach him? Here's why it matters. A.W. Tozer put it this way. You'll see it on the screen. To pray without expectation is to misunderstand the whole concept of prayer and relationship with God. That's heavy. Let me say it again. To pray without expectation is to misunderstand the whole concept of prayer and relationship with God. That is so true, and that is a sobering truth for us this morning. Because here's the problem. Most Christians will pray without this sense of expectation, And instead of drawing near to the Lord from a place of confidence and assurance in him through prayer, they draw near to him from a place of unbelief that he's actually hearing them and will answer. You say, wait a second, I I said I believe God answers prayer. Well, here's the reality. The posture of their lips may declare one thing, but the posture of their hearts says another. We got the Christianese lingo down. We know the right things to say, but what's the posture of our heart saying? Belief central here. And the truth is this, the assurance that God will not only hear but answer prayer for every true Christian is crucial if we are to live out our Christian lives faithfully, expectantly, and confidently in the Lord. Crucial. Now recall, why is John, out of anything he could have said to leave the church with, why is he finishing one of the last things he says about the confidence we're to approach God in prayer? Why? He's writing this letter because he's combating the false teachers, the Gnostics, who were distorting the true gospel. And he's writing to give the believers their assurance of eternal life. You're wondering about this. Verse 13, he says it right here. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Verse 13 of chapter 5. That verse sums up the entire book of 1 John. If someone were to ask you, oh, you're going through 1 John as a church, what's that book about? There's your answer. There's your answer. How do I know I'm a Christian? How do I know I have eternal life? This is the assurance. Everything in this letter has been building to that. And now John emphasizes from that another crucial assurance that we as followers of Christ have because of that assurance of eternal life. Here's the overflow. The assurance that God will answer our prayers. 
for every true believer. John's saying, okay, I've, I've hounded you for five chapters now on how to know you're a Christian through your love for others, through your obedience to God, through who Jesus Christ is to you. And now here's the overflow, a great assurance that we have because of that. Get this, guys, assurance of eternal life and from that, the assurance of answered prayer. He wants to leave them with no doubts about this. And here we see two essential truths we must believe and practice when we approach God in prayer if we are to have confidence in him and know with certainty, with certainty. You say, that's a bold statement. Yeah, with certainty that God will answer. And to honor God's word this morning, loved ones, grab your Bibles. Let's stand to read to honor its authority. That you may know, verse 13, 1 John 5. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. See, they're Christians. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we've asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, God will answer my prayer. Know this, loved ones. If you are in Jesus Christ, God will answer my prayer. I must pray in faith. I must pray in faith. Look at verses 14 to 15. And this is the confidence we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request we've asked of him. See, John states that one of the greatest assurances or certainties that we have as followers of Jesus Christ is the truth that God will answer our prayers as we approach him in faith. Now, what is faith? Let's make sure we're all on the same page with this. Faith is boiled, bare bones definition. You won't see it on the screen, so get your pens ready. It is this, complete trust or confidence in the Lord. There's faith. Complete trust or confidence in the Lord. How do we know that? Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Love those two words. Assurance and conviction. Faith. Complete confidence and trust in the Lord. And this is one, notice this, this is, don't, don't miss this. This is one of the greatest messages that John could leave the people with. And you say, you say, why? I mean, why remind them of this truth? He could have reminded them of anything. Why remind them of the confidence we have in God in prayer? Here's why. R.A. Torrey said this. You'll see this up front. It says, prayer is the key that unlocks all the storehouses of God's infinite grace and power. All that God is and all that God has is at the disposal of prayer. But we must use the key. Yes. We must use the key. This is why John reminds them of it. To unlock the storehouses of God's infinite grace and power. What better thing could you remind them of if you're speaking of their assurance in him? Now, clarity. This doesn't mean that we're going to get everything we ask for exactly how we want it and when we want it. But it does mean that prayer is the means by which we approach God with our requests and can know that he will answer them for his glory and for our good. You say, well, how do we use the key? This is the key. How do we use it? What does God expect? How do we pray in faith? Three major areas we're going to see right out of this text. I love how clear God's word is. Here it is. To pray in faith, I must pray, number one, with confidence before God. 
I must pray with confidence before God. Look at verse 14a. And this is the, say it all together, confidence. Oh, one more time. Confidence, great, that we have toward him. Now, what's confidence mean? Okay, is this some puffed up, yeah, I've earned this, I got a trip to the Almighty in store because I'm so good? No. The term confidence there in the Greek means freedom of speech, boldness, and openness towards God. Don't let that pass you. Freedom of speech, boldness, or openness towards God. Now, you see that in, in verse 14. This is the confidence that we have toward. See that word toward? You know what the word toward means? It means speaking, speaks of proximity or moving near to something or someone. Look at that beautiful picture. This is the confidence, the boldness, the freedom of speech that we approach the Lord with. And towards means there's an active exchange that's taking place here. Picture this. Just stop for a minute to see the magnitude of that truth. Holy, perfect, and majestic God who dwells, as Timothy says, in unapproachable light gives every Christian the privilege of entering into his presence with boldness and freedom to say what is on their hearts. That's a beautiful picture. You say, how is this possible? That a perfect, holy, majestic God would say, you're my child. You can have confidence in approaching me. Why? Because of the saving work of Jesus Christ who died for us on the cross and paid the penalty for our sin that we deserve from a holy and righteous God who, because of his blood, has now made us righteous in the sight of God. How do I know this? Got something to back that up? Yes, right here, 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake he, God the Father, made him, Jesus Christ, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Awesome, awesome truth. And now, through the work of Jesus Christ, all those who've repented of their sin and confessed him as their Lord and Savior have been adopted by God and have been given a right standing before him as his children. And he no longer looks at us. I'm so thankful for this. Just even thinking back to this past week, I'm so thankful he no longer looks at us and sees our sin that separates us from him. But when he looks at us, he sees the perfect and cleansing and spotless blood of his son and says, you are mine, loved one. You are mine and I love you. Approach with confidence. I am your father. I am your father. Come into my presence with confidence. I love how Hebrews 4.16 says it right here. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that why 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 that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need question how about you are you approaching the throne of grace with boldness with the freedom of speech with confidence before almighty god in prayer is this how we approach the lord as we truly are or are we trying to package ourselves to be a certain way to try to approach him how we think we should be. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a son or daughter of Almighty God. And he says, you are welcome in my presence because of my precious son who gave his life for you. If a true Christian, and I'm not talking about those who just claim the name of Christ but have never surrendered their life to him. I'm talking about true Christian, true followers of Christ. They come before him as his child. Know this, know this, know this. This is a father. I don't know, maybe some of us here have had fathers that have um, just atrociously done things or abused us or things like that. I'm not talking about that kind of father. I'm talking about a father who will only work for your good out of his incredible love 
for you. This is the access we have to him. So to pray in faith, that's where it all starts, loved ones. We don't have to try to clean ourselves up or just kind of huddle back. He says, come, come, taste it, come confidently, come boldly to bring your requests before me and I will hear. So to pray in faith, I must pray with confidence. We could spend a whole sermon series just on that. I must pray with confidence before the Lord. But next, here's the thing, with confidence comes submission. To pray in faith, I must pray in submission to God. In submission to God. Look at 14b. Here it is. And this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will. According to his will. Now, I love that term, anything. If we ask anything. You know what that means? Greek means this. Everything's available. You can ask for anything you want in accordance with my will. Ask for it. It's available to you. I have given you and will give you all you need for life and godliness. Nothing is off limits in my will for you. And what's, okay, so what's that word will? We have a lot of misconceptions about what is the will of God? Well, here, the, the word will there in the Greek is this, God's desires. What God desires. His good, pleasing, and perfect will towards you and I. It's his desires. The, and you know what his desires are? Here you go, here you go. The best offer. The Greek actually means best offer. Love that. God's offer is the best offer. Not what we're trying to offer him. What he offers us. This is asking for his good, pleasing, and perfect will for us above anything else. You say, wait a second, that sounds kind of boring. I know what's best for me. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Don't go there. Just wait a few more verses. See, praying, loved ones, in faith, in submission to God's will is saying this. What does it mean to pray in God's will? Here it is. Regardless of what we think we want or need, regardless of the pain we're in, regardless of the trial we are going through, regardless of what other people may say, here's praying in submission to God. It is saying to God, I trust you. I have faith in you that your ways are higher than mine, that your wisdom is greater than mine, that your plan is better than mine, that your desires for me are more fulfilling than mine. Lord, here is my request yet not my will, but yours be done. That's approaching God in faith, in submission to him. It's handing the reins back to him that we try to keep taking from him. So question, before we move on, we need to pause right there. What is that circumstance for you today? What is that circumstance Whose will are you submitting to in that request? God's or yours? Maybe it's in your marriage or dating relationship. God, would you just change my husband? Would you just change this? And if you did this, whose will are you submitting to? Maybe it's Asking him for a provision. I've been asking you for this for so long. Why don't I just have it? Why won't you just listen? Maybe it's some other desire that you're holding on to and you're like this. You walked in here this morning and you're like this with it and you need to submit to his will on. Lord, we've been trying for years to have children. Why haven't you given us children? That's painful. You don't ignore the pain, you give the pain. Why do I not have a spouse yet? It's hard, it's hard for me. What? Give the pain. Say, do I trust you? Because what, you know, when we come and we say, maybe we're here this morning, loved ones, and we're just saying, and I had to wrestle through some issues with myself even this week through this. 
we so often come and say, that would be too hard to give it over to the Lord and say, I trust you. I'm not gonna fight for that. I trust you. You know my heart. Here it is, boldness, the freedom of speech. But I trust you and hand it over to you in faith and submit to your will, your way, your time. Because what we're saying when we can't get to that place, when we're holding it like this, is what we're really saying is, God, I can't trust you with this. I can't trust you that you're going to work for my good in bringing us children, in bringing me a spouse, in giving me this provision. I can't trust you with it, so I gotta hang on to it. I can't trust that you love me and are working for my good and that your offer for me in this is the best offer. I love how Danny Aiken puts this. He said this, you'll see it on the screen. We have to realize this, loved ones, that God wants to give you what, listen carefully, God wants to give you what you would want him to give you if you were wise enough to want it. Just think about that truth. Let's, I'm gonna say it again for emphasis. Follow along and let it sink in. God wants to give you what you would want from him to give you if you were wise enough to want it. If you saw the whole picture, you would say, I want what he's waiting to give. I would want it his way. I would want it in his time. He sees the whole picture. We see but a snapshot. He sees what we're ready for, regardless of what we think we're ready for. He sees the trouble that could come if it's given too early or if he gives it at all. He sees how we could be hurt. But so often we come before God and says, as James 4, 3 says, you ask and don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. I want this for myself, my desires. I want this for my glory. What is that for you today? But here's the glorious truth, loved ones. As we pray in faith, in submission to God for his will and not our own, here's the awesome thing that happens as we draw near to the Lord. His desires for us become our desires. He gives us his heart. We say, God, I want you what you want, what you desire for me. The closer we get to God, the more of his desires we want. And as we grow in him, and as we ask according to his will, he promises to always hear and answer us. So you say, well, wait a second. I want to submit. What does praying in submission to God's will even look like? How do I even pray in submission to God's will? Here, here, here's three things. Three ways. Number one, through his word. You'll see it on the screen. Through his word. How do we know this? John 15, 7. Jesus says this. If you abide in me, it means remain close to me, and my words, see that? And my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. Ask whatever you wish, it'll be done for you. If my words abide in you, if my desires, what is, what is the Bible? It's God's heart for his people. If my heart abides in you, ask whatever you want. You're gonna be asking for my will. I love how James McDonald just made it so clear. Number one counseling question I get is this. What's the will of God? What's the will of God for me? Here's the will of God. James McDonald said this. The will of God is the word of God. Just boiled it right down. The will of God is the word of God. The more you know it, the more you will know what God's will is and ask him for it in confidence. God will never go against his word. It's against his nature. He's only gonna uphold his word because upholding his word upholds his glory. What's the will of God? It's the word of God. Let it direct you. Let us establish it. People will come and say, you know, I'm thinking about this decision and, and, and how do I know what the right decision is? Have you gone to the word of God? Is it guiding your prayer through the process? Well, how do I know what's true? How do I know what's clear? Well, here's number two. Through the word of God, by his spirit. By his spirit. Ephesians 6.18a says this, praying at all times in the spirit. 
What does it mean to pray in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit that is given to us, that we unpacked a whole doctrine on the Holy Spirit that is given to us at the moment of our salvation in Christ. The Holy Spirit leads us into God's truth and reveals his will to us. And here's the awesome thing. Did you know this? Romans 8, 26, the Holy Spirit is praying the will of God over your life. He's interceding before God himself, praying God's will over you, praying God's word over you, and we have the amazing, immense, supernatural privilege of joining him in that. Awesome. We join him in praying the truth of God's word over our lives, but here's the thing, as you maybe understand right now, you cannot pray in step with the Spirit if you are not a follower of Jesus Christ and you don't have him. It is the spirit of God that illuminates the truth of God to us. The Bible says the word of God is spiritually discerned. You can't do it on your own. You need the power of God inside of you or you won't know what God's will is because what does darkness have in common with light? We need the spirit to open our eyes and to open our hearts to the truth of God's revealed will in his word. So how do we pray in submission to God? Through his word, by his spirit. Number three, for his glory. For his glory. This is why we chose Open Up the Heavens today. I love that. Exodus 33, 18, where that song's based off of. Moses said this, please show me your glory. The glory of God. When we submit to the will of God, here's here's what happens. His desires become our desires, and his glory is always on the agenda, not our own. His glory is on the agenda, and not our own. Not what will advance us, but will advance the beautiful name of Jesus in our lives. To pray in faith is to pray with confidence before God. To pray in faith is to pray in submission to God. It is saying, God, here's my heart, boldness, confidence, freedom of speech. This is hurting. This is painful. But I trust you. Give me faith to trust you. Because faith itself is a gift from God and it's saying, do what you want to as long as you get the glory. That's the place of beautiful submission. Not to us, O Lord, but to your name be the glory. Confidence before God. We must pray in faith with submission to God. And thirdly, to pray in faith is this, to pray with assurance in God. Assurance in God. Look at verse 15. John goes on, he says, and if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, there it is, in accordance with his will, we know that he hears us, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. We have the requests that he asked him. Awesome promise, awesome promise. The word know, he says, if we know, John has been saying this all throughout the book, little recap here, the word know in the Greek there means if we are certain. So let's just insert that meaning back into the text because it's what it's talking about. If we are certain that he hears us in whatever we ask, we are certain that we have the request that we have asked of him. Amazing. And the word have there, we are, we are certain that we have those requests. You know what the Greek there? It means this. I was blown away by this this week. Already possess the outcome of the request. God knows what you need before you ask him. You already possess it. You're praying in line with the will of God. You're praying in submission to God. You're praying for the glory of God. He's like, yes, you have that. I've got that here. You have it. It's isn't that amazing? It's yours. If I, oh, let's try to get our heads around that and break it down. To already have been given the very things we're asking for in God's will. You already have it. <laughs> Clarify. This doesn't mean we're going to get everything we ask for, right? Exactly, exactly in the time, the manner, and the provision that we're asking for it. Okay, this isn't some prosperity gospel deal. Just believe, believe enough and then you'll get whatever you want. Won't get sick. Have lots of cars. No. Okay? But the truth is, as we pray in line with the will of God, we can be 100% assured that he will provide in his time and his way and he's going to give us one of three answers. One of three answers. Ready? Here we go. Number one, yes, now. Sweet. 
I pray in line with the will of God? Yes, now. Now's the time. I was gonna give that. Here's the provision. And everyone's like, yes. Let's get in on that. Okay, then there's potential answer number two. Yes, but not now. I.e., wait. And all God's people said, ah. Hey, you know it's true. You've all been there. I was there. I'm still there. Yes, but not now. Wait. Wait. And you know what? This is often the hardest one for us, right? This is often the hardest one. It's like, God, when? I mean, I think I'm ready. I think I've got my ducks in a row for this. I'm there. Why wait? Why does God make us? Okay, first off, you have to understand, waiting is a gift from the Lord. It's a gift of love from him to you. Why does he make us wait? Pastor James said this. You'll see it on the front. While you wait, God is making you spiritually fit to receive what he's already willing to do. There's the assurance. While you wait, God is making you spiritually fit to receive what he's already willing to do. You're praying for my glory. You're praying for my will. I've got your provision right here. You have that. But wait, you're not spiritually fit to receive it yet. Why does he wait? So we can steward it faithfully. We have to understand in the waiting, God is working. God is working. In the waiting, God is making us fit to receive the provision that's in accordance with his will. He's making us fit to receive it. And as I was going over the message this morning, it's, a, it's so similar. If, if one of my sons comes to me, which he did two days ago, and says, Dad, can I have the keys to the car? I want to drive us to the store. Can I have the keys? I want to take the fam for a spin. Go get the groceries from Walmart. Hey, can I do it? He's sitting in the driver's seat even. Now, if I'm a loving father, am I like, yeah, man, let's go. Oh, that's the pedal. No, I'm like, yes, one day, but wait, or you will hurt yourself. But in his mind, he's ready. You're going to hurt yourself and you're going to hurt all of us. See, loved ones, we have to get out of the perspective that we see the whole picture. God refines us in the process of waiting so we can be trusted with the provision. So, first answer yes, now. Sweet. Second answer, yes, but not now. Wait. Third answer, no. You prayed for my will. You prayed in line with my will. And you prayed this way. I'm not going to do it that way that you're asking for. I've got something better. It's still in line with my will. But I'm saying no to you on how you're asking for it. And I'm going to give it something better. Because I only work for your good and for my glory. I've got another way to show my glory. See, the key mindset we have to understand when we approach God in prayer is this. God's way is the best way and the best way is God's way. Quite simple, quite pithy, life-changing. God's way is the best way and the best way is God's way. The provision, when we ask in accordance to what God's will is, we can be assured the provision is on its way. Just keep praying and trusting. God will answer my prayer. I must pray in faith with confidence, in submission, and with assurance. And as you approach God in prayer like this, you realize quickly that God doesn't just call us to pray for ourselves, but to pray for others. To pray for others. I must pray for others. God will answer my prayer. Look at verse 16a. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask God, ask, and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. See, John now gives an example of what it means to pray for God's will, and notice the example he chooses. 
an example of how to pray for others. This is called the prayer of intercession. So far, John's been talking about the petitions we make on behalf of ourselves. Now he moves on to the prayer of intercession for others. Okay, now notice this. Just pause right here for a moment and don't, look out of all the examples. This is an example to unpack what John's been, been telling us about in the first two verses. Out of all the examples he could have picked, he chose the example of praying for others. Why? Why? Nothing random in scripture. Why did the Holy Spirit lead him for that? Here's why. Because how much of our prayer life is predominantly about us and what we want for ourselves? How often do we spend time praying for ourselves? And God calls us to do that, yes. But forsaking the prayer for our brothers and sisters. Just take, just take a notice, take a... Take a look, when you, when you approach God in prayer, where's predominantly your request going? Because here's the beautiful truth of this. One of the greatest expressions of love that brothers and sisters in Christ could have for one another is when we pray for each other. Just stopping in the moment, just saying, I'm gonna pray for you right now. Stopping in the moment, like, that is so unifying. Prayer is so unifying to the heart of God with us and to our hearts with one another. You see a church that is prayerless, I'll show you a church that is dead. It unifies our hearts with the Lord and with one another. And specifically, John focuses on how we're to pray for the forgiveness and repentance of our brothers and sisters in Christ, specifically believers here. Notice he said, if anyone sees a brother, his brother, he's not talking about a biological brother, he's talking about a spiritual brother, okay? How we pray for forgiveness and repentance for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are walking with sin. Now, what is sin? Let's just get on the same page. Quick definition on the screen. Anything that we do that breaks God's law. Anything that goes against his word. Therefore, against his word, which means, if we're learning from today, against his will. Yes. Go church. All right? Against his word, against his will. Now, the word committing there. Notice verse 16. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death. The word committing there, the Greek means actively engaging in. There's two types of sin. Sins of commission, sins of omission. Okay? Sins of commission are the things that we do that we're not supposed to. Sins of omission are the things that we don't do that we should do. Okay? Totally clear. Omission, commission. Okay? And it says we are to intercede for our brothers and sisters when we see them committing a sin that will not lead to death. What's this death business that John's talking? He's always talking about death. What's all this about? The death, the Greek for death here is spiritual death, separated from Christ in hell for eternity. The ultimate death. It's not just some physical death in the grave. He's talking about a spiritual death here. Now, okay, so this is one of the toughest um, passages in Scripture across the years, across the generations to interpret, okay? So we're going to dive in. We're going to go slowly and clearly because we can't miss this. So what are these sins not leading to death that he's talking about? These are this. I love how commentator Howard Marshall said it this week. I found him so blessed by this. He says, these are sins committed which do not involve, okay, ready? Do not involve the rejection of God and his way of salvation. That is Jesus Christ. The, this is the true Christian who's not, through his sin, is not denying that Jesus Christ is the son of God. He's not denying that Jesus Christ is the savior of the world. He's not denying the incarnation. He's not denying that he fell into sin. These are sins. He's not canceling. He's not, he's not denying salvation. The sinner is overcome by temptation in that moment of anger that we lashed out at our spouse, the pride that comes from that, or the greed, or, or the lust, or he's overcome by the worry in that moment. These are the sins that don't lead to death. I'm not denying my faith. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. No one can come to the Father but through him, but I fell into sin today. We clear? Okay. Sin not leading to death. The sinner is overcome by temptation. He still wants to love God and his neighbor. He still believes in Jesus Christ. And he still longs to be freed from sin. Okay? He's not losing his salvation here. And God says that we ask him in faith and bring this person 
to conviction and repentance of their sin. And here's his, here's his response. He will give them life. You see that? If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. What is the term for life there? Spiritual life. The recovering of joy and fulfillment in their walk with God. It's God giving his blessing to that person through their repentance and his forgiveness. The cleansing that comes from that. Beautiful. Beautiful. He gives them life. And why we can be assured of that? If we see a brother or sister struggling and sin, we start to pray. Why can we be assured that we're praying in line with the will of God? Because this is his will for them. How do we know? 1 Thessalonians 4.3. This is the will of God. Your sanctification. Being made more like Christ. This is the will of God. Your sanctification. Being made more like Christ. We know it's the will of God to pray that he would bring a person to repentance. John 10.10 says this, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, Jesus says, but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. You know what's cool about that word life? It's the same word used right here in verse 16. Same Greek word for life, zoe. Same thing, spiritual life, salvation. Okay, pause. Notice the truth here. Loved ones, the number one thing we can do the most powerful thing, the most loving thing we can do to see our brothers and sisters turn from their sin and turn towards Christ is this, to engage in prayer for them and not engage in words and actions at them or about them to others. Why? Because prayer unleashes God's power. Your words, my words, do not. My talking about them to everyone else does not. It unleashes God's power and God assures us that he will answer. It's his will for them to come to repentance. Commentator Stephen Cole summed it up this way. He says this, John does not say, if anyone sees his brother sinning, go tell the pastor so he can deal with it. Here you go. See, see? Go tell the pastor. Oh, you're going to deal with that guy. Really? No. Nor does he say, if anyone sees his brother sinning, call up all your friends and tell them about it so that they can pray. That is a thin spiritual cover for gossip. Nor does he say, if anyone sees his brother sinning, he should shake his head in disgust and ask, how could he do such a thing? That is called judging your brother. Let's take the plank out of our own eyes. Okay, okay, get him on the Lord. Rather, he says that if you see a brother in sin, pray. Pray for God to give him life. While we are all responsible for our own sins, only God can truly deliver us from sin because only God can impart life. So we're dependent on God to deliver, but at the same time, the sinning brother is responsible to turn from his sin and take the necessary steps not to fall into it again. Here's the key. Also, before we speak to a brother about his sin, we need to speak to God about the brother. Prayer is essential to the restoration process. How many of us forget to go vertical before we try horizontal in our marriages? How about that? With our kids, with us here in the church. Now, loved ones, stop for a second. Does this mean that we never lovingly confront or speak the truth in love to a brother or sister? No. Proverbs 27, 6 says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Does this mean you never bring something to us as elders or to me as your pastor to say, you know what, this is a pattern that's been going on in Matthew 18 and we've talked to them and we've brought two or three witnesses with them and they're just unrepentant. It says to come, that's Matthew 18, to come to the leaders of the church. Of course there's times for that, yes. But I wonder how much of our correction or rebuke we think we must give to our brothers and sisters is actually getting in the way of the work of God in their life. Pray, pray, John says, don't take the onus on yourself to change someone's heart. How freeing is that? He says, go to the one. Go to the one who can, the only one who can. Pray for them. It's the will of God for them to reach repentance. You're praying in the will of God when you pray for that. He's going to answer. It will be given, he says in verse 16. God changes people. We do not. He is the only one who can change the heart of a person. You and I aren't the Savior. Praise the Lord. 
Amen? And so often we spend more time taking it upon ourselves to correct people in their sin instead of taking them before the king of kings on our knees. What freedom to know the onus isn't on us to change a person. And this is why, you know what, this is a huge week in the life of our church. Pray. We're launching our small groups this week. Bring it on. Yeah, come on, man. That's right. Bring it on. We're launching small groups. It is a whole new season of ministry in this church. And this is what I love about small groups when you do life together. You come alongside one another and you pray for one another and you lift up one another's arms when you're tired and you don't have to go through it alone and you're in the trenches with your brothers and sisters and your hearts are unified in Jesus Christ and his blessing is upon that. That is awesome. Pray for our small group launches. Pray for our leaders. Pray for the people in them that they experience this love and reconciliation and patterns of sin are broken by the grace of God. Fellow brothers and sisters, question is this. Who do you need to be interceding for right now? Who do you need to go vertical with instead of trying to do this horizontally? Who do you need to be interceding for? What brother or sister? Maybe it's, as I said, in your marriages, maybe it's a prodigal child or, or, or maybe it's a co-worker who's a f- follower of Jesus Christ. They're struggling with sin. Maybe it's someone in this church. Who do you need to be interceding for? Know this. He will answer. So we pray for their repentance. Lastly is this. Verse 16, keep going. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. Okay, we talked about the sin that doesn't lead to death. Now what's this? Sin that leads to death. John finishes by stating that even though true followers of Christ will not commit sins that lead to death, there is a sin that can. Remember, recall, death, spiritual death, separation from God in hell for eternity. That's what's at stake here, okay? And it is one, this sin is one which every non-believer or someone who is not a Christian, who has not testified to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they are in danger of committing. And in fact, I could go so far as to say this, their whole trajectory of life, their whole course of life at this point is leading to this death. Unless there's repentance. And here is the sin that leads to death that John's speaking of. When a person has willfully denied or rejected that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the only Savior of the world, and they practice ongoing disobedience towards him. That is the sin that will lead to death. And Jesus talked about this in Matthew 12. Jesus calls this the sin of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit because recall, what's the mission of the Holy Spirit from last week? The mission of the Holy Spirit is to point people to the truth of who Jesus is. Think of a compass. Compass always points to north. Holy Spirit always points to Jesus. Always. So he calls it blasphemy or sinning against the Holy Spirit. Look at Matthew 12, 31 on the screen. Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven, people. That's the sin that doesn't lead to death that we talked about. But the blasphemy or sin against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Rejecting the witness, the internal truth of the Spirit, that's saying, this is true, this is true. No thanks, no thanks. I want to do my thing. I want to do... It's going to lead to death every time. And so clarify this, because commentators go both sides on this. I want to make something absolutely clear. We know that John is not speaking of a believer who was once saved, but has now chosen to reject Jesus and willfully engage in ongoing sin. We know that. We know that. How? How? 1 John 3, 9 says this. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him. That's the new nature, the seed, the new nature of God abides in him. And he cannot keep sinning because he's been born of God. You can't keep rejecting Jesus Christ. You can't keep on saying, now does this mean followers of Christ are going to be perfect? No. We're still going to fall into sin that doesn't lead to death. All the time, every day, most likely many times. But we go to the Lord and we repent of that and he cleanses us from that. Bottom line is, if you're truly in Jesus Christ, you will not reject Jesus Christ. You get a taste, you're you're not going to reject him. So question, where are you at today? 
Are you rejecting Jesus Christ and refusing to believe that he's the son of God, the savior of the world, who came as fully God and fully man, lived a perfect life, went to the cross to pay the penalty for our sin that you and I deserve because the wrath of a holy God that was poured out on him went to the grave, three days later rose again in power in the resurrection and now gives eternal life to all those who put their faith and trust in him alone. Have you made that decision? Is the trajectory of your life moving towards him or moving towards death? I wish, in some senses, it's a tough message to preach loved ones because I wish I could just kind of sugarcoat that a little bit and skip over the uncomfortable part. I just can't and be a faithful minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I can't do that. But is that you? And if you're here today and that is you, you say, I have never made that decision. Here it is, 1 John 1, 9. Know this, good news. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Right there. You say, Lord, I'm a sinner. And I believe you are the only son of God, the only savior who takes away the sin of the world. I surrender my life to you. That's where everything starts. And today when you hear his voice, loved ones, do not harden your heart. He says today, let today be the day of your salvation. You can't clean yourself up. I want you right where you're at. And I'll take care of the rest. But you gotta receive it. You have to receive it. It's a gift you can't earn. Loved ones, God will answer our prayers. We must pray in faith with confidence before God, in submission to God, and with assurance in God. And we must pray in faith for others. So how do we apply this? We're going to apply it right now. We're going to apply it right now. Let's take a few moments right now to do just that in the quietness of your heart, in your seat right there. To pray for our brothers and sisters who are struggling in sin that you know about. Maybe even for yourself, if that's you struggling in sin right now. You're not rejecting salvation, but you're struggling in your sin. Pray right now that they would turn or you would turn in repentance from that. And let's pray for those who are lost and rejecting Jesus Christ, the sin that does lead to death, that he would open their eyes even right now in this room among us and change their hearts today that they may have new life in him. The worship team's gonna come up here and they're just gonna play instrumentally very quietly. This is a quiet time right now. Let's just bow our heads and get low before the Lord for ourselves and interceding for our brothers and sisters, praying for the lost. And let's do some business with God this morning. He will answer. And then after we've prayed for a few minutes, the worship team will lead us in our response song today. Father, we pray in this time right now Jesus Christ, that your Holy Spirit, by the power of your word, would do what you want to do here today. God, I pray for every heart in this place right now, those that are near you, those that are far from you, those that are struggling. God, I pray for refreshment and repentance and forgiveness all over this place today. God, we don't want to move ahead. We don't want to rush ahead if you're not with us. I pray in Jesus' name you would do a refreshing work, a refining work, a forgiving work, a convicting work, and a work of new life in our hearts, God as we set our hearts to you. Come and meet with us in Jesus' name.